Happy Mother's Day. Research and science has proven um, that if it were not for mothers, none of us would be here, right? I mean, it's in more ways than one, but literally, like moms are the reason we're here. Um, but in contrary to popular belief, Mother's Day was not invented by Hallmark or by the florist industry. Like, they benefit greatly from that, yes, but that's not the reason it exists. Mother's Day actually started in 1908, a little over 100 years ago, and it was started in a small Methodist church in Virginia by a lady named Anna Jarvis. And what she wanted to do is she approached her pastor and said, it'd be really great if we could take a Sunday to honor all the mothers in our congregation. But the interesting thing about this is Anna Jarvis's mother had actually passed away three years prior to the first Mother's Day. Well, this tradition caught on and spread like wildfire. And in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson made a resolution that every year on the second Sunday of May will be celebrated as Mother's Day. So that's why we celebrate today. But I do want to say this on a serious note. I know Mother's Day can be a day of mixed emotions. I imagine for Anna Jarvis on that first Mother's Day, as she's seen the, the culmination of her work on the first Mother's Day, it was a bittersweet. Yes, these mothers are getting celebrated, but her mother is not here with her to celebrate. So we know this is a day of mixed emotions. Some of you may be mourning that your mother is not here, maybe whether she's gone on before us or physically separated. Even though that there may be an estrangement of a relationship between mother and, and kids, or, you know, maybe even that there's a mixed emotion of you're trying to become a mother and you're having problems with that. And what I want to just say is that wherever you are on this Mother's Day, for those who are mourning, we mourn with you. We get that. We want to walk with you in that. But for those who are here celebrating with your mom, don't take that for granted. Uh, if you can call your mom or spend time with your mom or, or whatever it may be, make sure you celebrate her and we celebrate with you as well. So with that said, I'd like for us to pray together and ask God to be with us this morning. So let's pray. God, on this day, we do take a moment to pause and celebrate our mothers. And uh, God, whatever that relationship may be, God, you know better than we do. So we mourn with those who are mourning. But God, we also celebrate with those who celebrate. And so God, we know that we are here this morning. We maybe have reasons, different reasons for being here. Maybe mom wanted us to be here. But God, the truth is none of us are here by accident. God, you have put us in this room today together for a purpose. So God, whatever the reason that may be, God, may we hear your word clearly, not only with our ears and with our mind, but God, may it move our feet and our hands to be more like you. So God, be with us this morning and let us hear you clearly. In your name we pray, amen. This morning, as we continue to chronologically look at the life of Jesus, as we've been doing, we're going to look at several parables. Actually, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing this as well. So today's parable we're going to look at is what the New Living Translation, which I will be reading from this morning, calls the parable of the farmer scattering seed. Or the ESV and the NIV call it probably the most well-known title of the parable of the sower. So if you have your Bibles, you want to open them up or turn them on to Matthew chapter 13. If you have your Matthew journals that we've been giving it out, uh, that's on page 68. We've been, if you don't know, we have some journals in the front. You may have seen them as you come in. Uh, we have the Matthew journals where it's just a section of the scripture. It's in the English standard version, um, Daniel's preferred version. And uh, that has notes on the second page where you can just jot notes. I'm not smart enough to understand the ESV, so I go to the NLT. Um, it just speaks my language better. But, but whatever version works for you, that's the best version. So we're going to be looking at parables 
of Jesus. Let me tell you about a parable. You probably know this. We've all been in English class, but just to make sure we're on the same page, a parable is a fictional story that communicates absolute truth, right? It's a fictional story. It's not a true story, but it has absolute truth in it. And unlike just a regular story, maybe to entertain us, a parable causes those that really want to understand to lean in, to dig in a little bit, to seek deeper meaning and understanding. And what ultimately parables cause us to do for the listener that wants to understand is how does this apply to me? So parables by nature are very heavy in application. That is no different than today. There's a lot to apply here. So let's dig into this. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Parable of the sower. Later that same day, just to give you some context, after Jesus had the conversation with the Pharisees about the sign of Jonah that we talked about last week, and uh, Brian preached on in Matthew chapter 12 at the end, it's this later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen. A farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil. And they produce a crop that was 30, 60, or even 100 times as much that has been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I love this verse. Verse 10, his disciples came and asked him, "Um, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? I love Mark's version of the story in in his his gospel. They come out and say, Jesus, um, we don't understand what you're saying. We're clueless. Farmer, see what is happening. Please help us. So Jesus gives them some context. He says in verse 11, he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. He's talking about the importance and the reason he talks in parables, uses parables. And he says, this is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah, which this, these words are literally found in Isaiah chapter 6. Jesus is quoting the word here. When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see. And their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. So Jesus has given us the reason that he teaches in this parable. It's for those who really want to know and listen, they've got to lean in, they've got to dig in. So Jesus says, because I know that you, let me explain this parable to you. Verse 18 says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. 
Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. So is that cleared up for you guys? Everybody got it? All right? We're probably like disciples. Wait, what? <laughs> even in the explanation, like, wait a second, what does Jesus mean here? Right? So I think we calls us. We got to dig into this, and we're going to do that this morning. And I think the best way to understand what is going on here and what Jesus meant in this parable is to look at the three main components in this parable. And that is the seed, the soils, and the sower. The seed, the soils, and the sower. So let's look at that first. We're going to look at the seed. What is the seed in this parable? Mark's version of of this story, he lays out clearly what the seed means. In Mark 4.14, he says, The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. So the seed is God's word in this parable. The seed is the gospel. It's the good news. It's that God created this perfect world, but because of our sin and choosing against God, we messed it up. But God didn't leave us that way, that he came to this earth in the form of Jesus Christ that not only lived a perfect life, but he died on the cross in our place, bearing our sin and shame on his shoulders, which put him in the grave. But because he lived a perfect life and he was holy and he was God's son, he defeated death once and for all by raising from the dead. And the Bible says that if we believe that, not only with our minds, but with our hearts, and then we commit our lives to following him, then our sin and our shame and our guilt is erased forever. That is the seed. That is the good news. That is the gospel, what we see in this parable. And I love this analogy that Jesus uses as seed, talking about God's word, because seeds are amazing. I don't know if you, I have a fascination with seeds. It started, my dad, when I was younger, had a garden at my grandparents' house, um, you know, when you're a kid, everything is like much bigger than it probably is in real life. I think the garden was probably like an acre, maybe two acres. I thought it was like a thousand acres. It just looked huge to me as a kid. My dad had this big old, old international tractor that he used to plow the fields. So every night after work, we would go home, we would eat, he would go home, eat dinner, and then we would go to the garden. My dad would work in the garden. I would go to my grandma's house and eat biscuits and drink uh, coffee randomly. So <laughs> the fuel of champions for every kid. Um, biscuit, and you can tell I have the body of biscuits and coffee, so... So my dad would, and I love going to, we had this place called Beasley's in downtown Apex. It was like this feed and store, you know, seed store. And we would go in the back and you would get these little brown paper bags and you would just scoop out how many seeds you need. And I loved the silver queen corn seeds, right? Silver queen corn, it's a sweet corn that you get in the summer. I love the seeds because they were like this fiery, hot, pink fuchsia looking. It had kind of this husk on it and it just looked cool. I just remember holding them in my hands and rubbing them around. I just loved how they looked. And I would look at the seed and I would think, man, this little bitty seed can create a stalk that's like seven feet tall with tons of ears of corn, which really are all little seeds on each ear. I mean, this is like fascinating. So I love that Jesus uses this seed to compare it to God's word, because here's the truth about seeds. A seed's growth depends on the quality of its environment. A seed's growth depends on the quality of its environment. You know, 
we had those bag of seeds and maybe we had some left over. You know those seeds never grew in the bag. Have you ever seen a, greed, uh, a seed sprouting out of a pouch of the seed display at Lowe's? No, a seed doesn't grow in its pouch. It has to be planted in quality environment. If you plant a seed in the wrong soil, or if it's poor soil, or if it's in an area where it's maybe susceptible to too much uh, shade or too much sunlight, or if there's not enough drainage, or if there's too many insects, the seed won't grow. Seeds need the right environment and proper nurturing to grow and produce fruit. Here's how that relates to us. The growth of God's word in your life depends on the conditions of your heart. And say that again. The growth of God's word in your life, the seed of God's word, the growth of that in your life depends on the conditions of your heart. Let's do a heart test this morning. What is the condition of your heart? Does the way that you live your life provide an environment for God's word to grow in your heart? Think about the things surrounding your life. Do those things help or hinder the growth of the gospel in your life? The growth of God's word in your life depends on the environment of your heart. And that's why Jesus spends so much time talking about the soil. So let's look at the soils next. Because the soils represent the conditions of our heart. See, Jesus is using in this parable a farming example because it related to everyone. This was a culture that depended on farming. And normally when we think of farming and gardening, like I talked about my dad's garden, we think of like these perfectly manicured rows. Like if you're going up I-40, I love when you pass those fields because it's just like perfectly straight lines. And that's because, I don't know if you know this, tractors now have GPSs on it. So they just set the coordinates and boom, they have straight rows to maximize their field. But in this culture, they, they didn't have gardens and, and, and crops like this because their main crop was wheat. And how you sow wheat is you prepare the field and then they would have sacks around their chest and they would just take out handfuls and they would just cast seed everywhere. So you hope most of the seed would fall on good soil so that it would produce wheat. But inevitably, some of the seed may have fallen on a footpath or a place where there's rocks or thorns or places where it couldn't grow. But the key to this parable is to know the same seed was sown everywhere. There was nothing different about the seed. The seed being God's word. God's word is sown. It's the same. But its growth was dependent on the condition of the soil. So let's spend a little time looking at each of these four soil conditions. And as we're going through this, I want to see, maybe think about which one of these do I relate to? Let's look at this first one. It's the footpath soil. I got a picture to just kind of give you a visual of what some of these look like. The footpath soil, which is that compacted, well-worn, barren area that's used for walking right? Whether passage around or through the field, it's just that footpath area. And seeds that fall on this area obviously can't grow because it can't seek roots into that compacted hard soil. That's why Jesus says that it would leave the seeds exposed and birds would come and eat it because it was vulnerable. It was exposed. And when we hear about the footpath soil, we automatically think about that hard-hearted person, right? We all know some hard-hearted, maybe some hard-headed person, but those hard-hearted people, And we think that, obviously, this is what it means. And it's true. But Jesus says that's not the only reason that the seed of God's word doesn't take root in their life. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. See, Jesus is reminding us here. We've talked about this for several weeks if you've been with us. He's reminding us that we all have an adversary. 
we all have a spiritual enemy that is attacking us and is always against us. The evil one, who is Satan, the devil, as we see him mentioned here too, his main mission is to destroy any chance of God's word being planted in your heart. That is his main mission. That's why Jesus says in John 10, 10, he says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. There's nothing uplifting about those three things, right? The thief wants to come and steal the seed of God's word from being planted in your heart to kill it and not give it a chance to seek groups so that therefore it then destroys your life. Peter reminds us the same thing in 1 Peter 5, 8. Peter gives like, shouts a warning here. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Don't forget that you have a spiritual enemy. He is against you and always fighting against you. The reason the seed of God's word can't grow in someone's heart that has footpath soil isn't just because of their hard heart, but it's because we all have that enemy against us that's fighting against us. So that's the first type of soil. The second type of soil we see is rocky soil. This soil that maybe is a good layer of soil on top, but underneath has rocks and is shallow. So shallow soil creates shallow growth. And the problem with shallow growth is it normally leads to a quick death because of the lack of roots. Um, when I was in high school, I went to Apex High School. And when I was small, Apex was kind of a farming community and it was a little more rural. Now it's, uh, I don't even know what it is now. It feels like New York City. Um, but when you go there, it's like so everybody wants to be there. It's a great place to live. But when I was going there, it was, it was kind of in its starting to grow. And um, they, we had a wooded area behind their school and they wanted to create another field for our sports teams and our PE classes to have. So the Army Corps of Engineers graciously donated the work. They tore down all the trees. They brought in dirt and they leveled out. The problem was they brought in super rocky soil, right? You get for your, what you pay for. So what we did is our PE classes, they gave us all grocery bags. We stood shoulder to shoulder and we all walked in line picking up rocks off the ground, right? Public education at its finest there. Um, that's what we had to do because we knew that we were, I mean, it was obvious if they tried to plant grass there, it wouldn't grow for long because once those hot summer days come in August, the roots are too shallow in the grass and eventually die. So we had to remove the rocks so that they could create good soil and the grass could take root and grow. See, those with a heart of rocky soil means that the seed of God's word hasn't had time to sink roots in their heart. So although there's some quick growth, it dies as soon as adversity or opposition comes into their life. Also refer to this soil as the uh, summer camp soil. I don't know if you've ever been to a, like a summer Christian camp. I worked at Fort Caswell for several summers. I was on a, a music team and did some speaking there. And I mean, it was really cool. And it was, it was a natural progression towards the end of the week. Friday was the last night of camp, man. That was the night you had the most salvations, right? I mean, the halter was full. People are crying. I mean, it's just a great moment because what it is, is such an intense Jesus-filled fertile soil environment that you have nothing to do but focus on your spiritual relationship with Jesus. And other people are doing the same, and it just creates this great momentum. But what we noticed after being there a couple years is the same people that were coming to give their life to Jesus, then were coming back, then every year, I'm rededicating my life to Jesus. And it kind of came a running joke in a way. It's like, oh, I, I was saved when I was 10, but I rededicated my life 45 times. She's like, what, what is happening here? This is, I don't see this in scripture. Like, what, what is this mentality going on? And we talked about it as a group, and we realized this, that 
they didn't have strong enough roots in their faith to weather the adversities and the oppositions that come in life. When they went back to their normal life, their faith hadn't sunk down deep enough. Then when they were put back into their old environment, they encountered those problems and persecutions, as Jesus says in this parable, and their faith couldn't last. See, allowing the gospel to transform us is a slow, lifelong, growing process. And what we have to do is we have to constantly remove the rocks of our hard heart so that God's word can grow lasting, long, and strong roots in our lives. If your heart has rocky soil, you will experience some spiritual growth, but it will be shallow. And it will go away as quickly as it grow when the problems and persecutions come in life, which are inevitable. So that's the second type of soil. The third one is this, the thorny soil, the soil that had thorns. The seed had too much competition and was choked out. Uh, my wife and I built a home about three years ago, and you know, one of the last phases of the home building process is landscaping. You know, it's great because they put out that fresh mulch. Like, there's no weeds around. You're like, this is probably the best my yard's ever going to look right now. It's all going to go downhill. But right now, but then it's like a never-ending fighting battle against weeds. And one thing I noticed is we had a couple bushes around their houses, but in our house it was not growing. Because where they put our house, there was nothing there. It was kind of woods. It was forest. And one thing, I went to these bushes that were not growing and were stunted in their growth, and I looked in there, and I noticed there was these thorny vines that had wrapped themselves around the bushes and were literally choking the life out of it. So the interesting thing about this thorny soil that Jesus is talking about, the soil wasn't the problem. The soil wasn't the issue. It was the other things growing alongside of the good seed that were bad things, and those things don't produce fruit. Just like those vines at our house in the bushes, they were literally choking the life out of any growth that these seeds had. The good seed couldn't compete with the thorns and weeds. So what it does is it initially just stunts growth. We plateau, but then it literally chokes the life out of us. Jesus identifies the thorns in our hearts in verse 22. He says this, listen to this. The message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. What Jesus is saying is the message, God's word, is crowded out in our life by our worries and our wants. The message translation says it this way The seed cast in the weeds is the person who hears the kingdom news, but weeds of worry and illusions about getting more and wanting everything under the sun strangle what was heard, and nothing comes of it. The seed of God's word in our hearts gets strangled out by the weeds of our worries and our wants. I want to ask you this morning, can you relate to that? It seems like when I have conversations about this, I remember a a Bible study I had with the coaches over at UNCW, and we looked at these soils. We all kind of said, you know what, that sounds like me. By the worries and wants in our life, our life comes consumed about the things that we worry about and we want. What are those things really are? Worries really come from a a self-reliance. Right, this, this idea of a false sense of control, an illusion of control that I need to navigate and control everything that happens in my life so only good things and the best things will happen. Or the wants of life, the idea that if we can just attain more things or if I can get to that level of the things I don't have, then I will truly find fulfillment and my identity will be set. 
But the problem is both of those things are rooted in a lack of trust of Jesus. When we don't trust that Jesus is in control, when we don't trust that he will provide everything, not only that we want, but also that we need. And when we focus on our worries and our wants, they consume us. It's an endless pursuit because you will never gain enough control and you will never have enough things. It is an endless, constant pursuit. And the heart that's filled with worries and wants chokes out the growth of God's word in your life. The last soil that Jesus talks about is that good soil that produces an exponential crop. And I know you thought this, but you won't say it, but I'll say it because I'm up here on stage. When we read about these soils, we're like, okay, no one has the good soil, right? That's the Sunday school, the overachiever, like the gold star, Jesus, yeah, we got it, we don't have it, whatever. And we think it's unattainable, but it's not unattainable. Good soil isn't unattainable, but it does take work. And Jesus clearly identifies what it means to have good soil. Maybe you're thinking, well, how do I know if I have it? Well, Jesus gives us the answer here in verse 23. He says, the seed that fell on good soil represents three things. Those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. So the three things that identify good soil is those who hear, those who understand, and those who produce. What we generally do is we stop at number two, right? Hear and understand, check, I'm good, right? That's that summer camp soil. Like, I'm good, I've got what I need, I can go. But Jesus says, no, 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 fertile soil can't help but produce fruit. Fertile soil always, it has no choice because that's what it does. It produces fruit. He says, so if you have good soil in your heart, then you're going to hear the word, you're going to understand the word, and you're going to produce by sharing the word with others. Notice it doesn't define anything about good soil by saying you have to have perfect soil. Never make a mistake. Never have a weed. Never have an issue. It also doesn't say like, hey, if you're going to produce, you've got to be the next Billy Graham, right? Something unachievable. It doesn't say those things. Good soil isn't just identified by the soil itself. You can't just scoop up soil and say, this is good soil, right? Good soil is identified by the fruit it produces, so I want to throw up all four of these uh, images up here of the soil. And this morning, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do a soil test on the condition of your heart. Of those four soil types, what soil type do you identify with the most? And why is that? If you're looking at the footpath soil, maybe the enemy is snatching away the seed from taking root in your hard heart. Or if we look at it, from the rocky soil, is your seed too shallow and easily uprooted by the questions and complications of life? I want to say questions are not bad. Questions are great. If you have a faith question, man, I think nothing makes Jesus happier than when we question our faith. You can't ask a question that will trump God. You can't ask a faith question that hasn't been asked in the history of, world, of the world. Just like parables, faith questions make us lean in and dig it roots down into our faith and make us stronger. Questions are not bad if they make us pursue. Questions become a problem when they make us stop, when we don't want to sink in those roots, when we're just satisfied with those shallow roots, and maybe I'll never understand that, I don't care. But then when that opposition or obstacles of life come, we're quickly, our faith is put to death. Or if you're thinking about those, those thorny soil, what I think a lot of us can identify with, is your seed choked out by the worries and wants of life? Or maybe God is using you to produce fruit, that you have the good, fertile soil in your heart. 
The good news is this morning, whatever your soil type is, it doesn't have to stay that way. It doesn't have to stay that way. Soil is dynamic. Soil is constantly changing. I know we all took like earth science in school and we learned about crop rotation, right? Crops have to be rotated every seven to 10 years. And the reason is if you grow one crop in a certain area of soil, certain crops deplete the soil of that specific nutrient. So if you keep planting the same crop in the same area, it's going to deplete the soil of all of that nutrient. It will eventually not grow or produce a a bad crop. I remember my dad growing up, sometimes the corn would be on the left side of the field, sometimes be on the right side of the field. We rotate it. Or if you think about Lewis Farms, right? We all love Lewis Farms. We think we go there for the strawberries, but really we go there for the ice cream, right? Let's be honest. Amen? Amen. So we go there to Lewis Farms, but you notice they never move the strawberry fields. They're always in the same place. And they're not using the same soil. They have to constantly re-nourish and cultivate the soil. The conditions of our heart from a faith perspective require constant cultivation and renourishment, even good soil. Good soil to remain good takes constant cultivation and renourishment. So I want to say to you this morning, maybe you felt stagnant in your faith. If you aren't doing anything to renourish your heart and cultivate your faith, then don't be surprised by your lack of spiritual growth. So I'm going to ask you, what is something you can do this week to cultivate and renourish your heart? I want you to literally think about that for a second. What is maybe even just one thing you can do to cultivate and re-nourish your heart? And I was thinking I could give you a lot of options. And the problem is I don't think we need options. We just need to do it. We just need to put the work in. We need to put the effort. Brian talked about last week in his message about not only playing defense against bad things, but also playing offense, right? If you're going to pull a weed in a field, that's great. But eventually that weed is going to grow back. So you got to maybe pull that weed, but then also maybe spray some Roundup or put some weed barrier down or whatever it may be. It takes offense and defense to cultivate and re-nourish our heart. So maybe what are some practices you need to put in your life, but also what are some things you need to prune from your life? And if you need help with that, if you feel stuck and stagnant and you're not growing, then come see us at the connection table. It's not that we have all the answers, But the point of us being a church is to walk towards Jesus together. We want to grow together as we grow in Jesus. So stop by the connection table, and we love to help you. That's why we're here. But what is one thing you can do this week to cultivate, renourish your heart? So when it comes to the soils, I mean, there's even more to go about there, and I don't want to make any moms late for lunch. That would be a taboo thing on Mother's Day. But there's so many things to process, and really, when we read this parable, the soils get the most attention because it makes us think the most about ourselves. And we kind of have to examine our hearts. But the four soil types are not the point of this parable. It's not the parable of the soils. It's the parable of the sower. So let's look at the last main point of this parable as we close today. The sower. I love the, I went to uh, school or seminary at Gordon-Conwell in Charlotte. And they had just built this new campus. And um, yeah, Rob, you know this. They built this, they painted this fresco on the back wall uh, and it was beautiful. And it's the parable of the sower. And I got a picture of it here. It doesn't do it any justice. If you're seeing it in person, it is, it is magnificent. I always would just stare at it. And I loved it in the picture of a seminary. Because a lot of times when we go to seminary, we think about, I just need to know and understand. Right? I just need to get all this knowledge in. It's like, no, no, no. The point of knowing and understanding the seed, the God's word, is so that you can produce. That's the whole point. To know, to understand, and produce. That is the main point. So in this parable and this painting, Jesus is the sower, but he's not the only one. 
Jesus is actually, I don't know if you can tell, but his foot at the bottom is coming out of this fresco. And that's a beautiful picture of that. Jesus sows his seed into our life. But Jesus is saying, not only did I sow it into your life or somebody sowed my word into your heart, you're coming along with me. Jesus is telling us in this parable and in this painting that if the seed of God's word has been sown into your life, then it's your responsibility to sow the seed into others. Think about that for a moment. The reason you are here this moment is because somebody has sown the seed of the gospel in your life. Who is that person? You know what would be really cool? Maybe even to call them or shoot them an email or text and say, listen, we talked about who sowed the seed of the gospel in our life in church today, and you were that person for me. I just want to say thank you. And guess what? You can be that person for someone else. That's what your calling is. That's what we're called to do. That's what our mission is, is to be sowers. God's purpose for your life is to sow seeds of the gospel in whatever field you're in. I'm going to say that again, especially for you that just graduated from UNCW, right? God's purpose for your life is to sow seeds of the gospel in whatever field you're in. No matter if you're a kid, college student, high school, middle school, adult, retired, it doesn't matter. If you have breath in your lungs, God has a purpose for your life. And that purpose is to sow seeds of the gospel in whatever field you're in. Now notice what the sower was not responsible for. I think we think we have to do so many more things, but notice what the sower was not responsible for in this parable. The sower wasn't supposed to just sow on fertile soil. The sower wasn't responsible for fixing the other soil types or removing the rocks or the weeds. The sower wasn't supposed to wait for the right sowing conditions or to wait until they knew every possible thing about the seed and what the outcome could be from sowing it. And the sower didn't wait until he found the right or perfect field. And in this, the the sower didn't even have to worry about if it was going to produce a crop. The sower had one responsibility. Sow seeds everywhere, period. God's purpose for each one of us is to be a sower in whatever field you're in. So as I close this morning, I'm just going to ask you a couple questions. A couple questions to reflect on and think about in the context of the seed, the soils, and the sower. The first one is this, has the seed of God's word been planted in your heart? Has the seed of God's word truly been planted in your heart? And are you providing an environment for God's word to grow in your life? The answer to that question is revealed by the fruit of our life. So another way to ask that question is, what fruit is your life producing? When it comes to the soils, the question again is, what type of soil best represents the current condition of your heart? If you don't like your current soil type, then what are you going to do about to change it? It takes work. It takes cultivating and renourishing. So are you willing to put the work in to cultivate and renourish your heart? And I'll ask the band to join us back on stage as I ask you this last question. And the last question is this, are you sowing seeds of the gospel in whatever field you're in? No, I know that can be just not real clear practical language. So I want to ask you, Maybe you're thinking, how do I actually do that? Like, I've I've got the idea I should share Jesus. How in the world am I actually supposed to do that? Maybe you don't even know exactly what you believe. There's some very practical things that you can do. One thing is you can just share your faith story with somebody. Invite somebody to lunch or coffee and say, hey, listen, let me share with you about what God's doing in my life. 
Or maybe you ask somebody else, like, hey, how often do you think about spiritual things? Have you had a spiritual conversation with someone? Or maybe it's praying with someone. How many times has somebody told you they're, they're worried about something or they're going through something or a sickness? and Just in that moment, say, hey, listen, can I pray for you right now? Does that feel weird? Maybe. It's unusual, but that's what we have to do when we're sinking those roots in because we're telling somebody you are worth sowing seed into your life. Or maybe it's as simple as extending grace and mercy and forgiveness to someone who doesn't deserve it. Or serving someone. The greatest way, I think, to sow a seed, obviously, is serving someone. But not only can that happen in that community, it can happen in our church and in your home. Or simply you can invite someone to church. Or you know what would be great? Is actually literally put the seed of God's word in your heart with another person. Say, hey, let's, let's go through this book of the Bible together. Let's go through this book together. Let's spend some time growing in our faith and growing in our relationship with one another. I mean, there's endless opportunities on how you can sow the seeds of the gospel in whatever you're filled in. But the question is, are you willing to do it? When our heart has fertile soil, then sowing seeds is natural and automatic. It doesn't feel weird. It doesn't feel forced. Fertile soil can't help but produce good fruit. And that's what we're called to do. So as I summarize today's message, I just want to say this that God's purpose for your life is to sow seeds of the gospel in whatever field you're in. And to do that, we constantly have to cultivate and renourish the soil of our hearts so that the seed of God's word can grow deep, long, lasting, and strong roots. And if we're committed to do that, not only as individuals, but as a church, as we link arms together and do that, Man, we will see exponential growth not only in our personal lives and our church, but our community will be different. And even beyond, outside of Wilmington, will be totally and eternally changed. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. God, I know so many times in my life I even take it for granted, the access and availability we have to it. So God, I pray that we are willing to put in the work to cultivate the soil of our hearts, provide a good environment, that we will do what we can so that you can do what only you can do. So God, I pray that the word, your word is planted and has long lasting, strong roots in our life, that no matter what life throws at us, it stands strong and firm. God, I pray that we will know that Sharing you isn't just for some people or some people that truly get it or maybe an expert sower, but God, anybody that has had your word sown into their life is called to sow it into others. So maybe now, even in this moment, will you lay somebody on our mind and our hearts, God, that we actually will pray for opportunities to sow seeds that you will show us as we step out into our daily fields of where we're supposed to sow your seed. And God, may we be faithful to you so that we will see an exponential production, God, that just makes an eternal difference, not only in our lives, in our church, but in our community. God, we love you and we thank you. Name we pray. Amen.